pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Please be seated. You know, you get into books that are not as familiar to us, perhaps like Amos and a few of those toward the back, and uh, you could really make that man's life hard who stands up here and reads those Scripture before you stand up. But I surely do appreciate you for reading those, Michael. Thank you so very much. I hope you have gotten a piece of paper much like this one. If you do not have one, there are some located back on that white table back there. You're absolutely more than welcome to get them. If you don't find any back there and you want one, let me know. I will make sure that you get one. We've been studying through the books of the Bible with one theme in mind. That theme being Jesus the Christ. And that subset of that theme being the Messiah and the bloodline. And so we can find that blood sprinkled on every single page of every single book of the entire Bible. We made our way to Amos tonight. The key words in Amos are judgment, punishment, captivity, and restoration. And if there is a key in Amos, I hope that wasn't me. If there is a key in Amos, uh, the key verse I would put as... Um, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Very simple verse. Hopefully you have remembered it or, or at times past have uh, memorized that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now the, the answer to Amos is no. They can't. The key phrases of this book are, Thus saith the Lord, seek ye the Lord. Both of these phrases occur about five times individually through this book. The key chapter is chapter 9. This chapter God proclaims his utter devastation for Israel and the temple that's located in Bethel. It is a command of God that the nation of Judah, or rather Judah is condemned of God, rather, for despising that same law that, that Israel does. Amos was sent to denounce Israel for her sin, and because of that, she's going to be punished. As a message from God, Amos teaches that uh, there is no possible way to escape these consequences. I wish I could tell you who said it first. And I don't remember. But it's such a good quote. We need to understand this. Faye. This is not an inspired quote, but it is a good quote for us to understand. Uh, we may have the ability to choose one thing or another, but we don't have the ability to choose not to suffer the consequences, either good or bad. Some of the good consequences are excellent. We come here, uh, and a consequence of that is, is singing and being uplifted and enjoying ourselves with brothers and sisters uh, of God's family. That's a great consequence. And we all too often think about those negative consequences, don't we? And they're still out there. Those negative consequences are still out there. We're, we have the right to choose, but we don't have the freedom from those consequences. Amos was not of any priestly lineage. He was, however, a hard worker. He was a dresser of sycamore trees. He was a herdsman of Tekoa goats. Uh, sycamore trees take a lot of dedication and detail for the fruit to bear. 
how many of you have ever spent time with just a regular goat? How many of you speak English? Somebody raise a hand. Anybody know? Hey, who's ever seen a goat? Somebody help me out here. Good. Good. So, you know, goats are not um, sane, right? They're not, not sane at all. And, and we look at them, that, that, that goat's crazy. Now, you can amp that up to about 10 when you deal with the Tekoan goat. They're, they're just not wired right. It takes a special kind of person to be able to lead those because uh, a lot of their background deals with a, a goat that would be from a lineage of, of a mountain goat. They like to stand all perched up on little bitty stuff way high for some crazy reason. And so you have to go up there and you're going to have to herd them to where they're supposed to be. You have Amos here whose main name means bearer or burden bearer, and he, he's got a tough job. Whether it comes to the fruit that he has to uh, spend a lot of detail and time with, or whether it comes to, to the animals who he has to spend a lot of time with, because he's going to have to go get them. He's not a lazy guy. He grew up and lived about 12 miles south of Jerusalem in a village called Tekoa. He labored around 765 B.C. He worked with, worked with men like Hosea and Jonah and Joel. This is possibly the oldest book of sermons that have been written down and recorded. Quite possibly. Not the oldest sermons ever preached, but the oldest book of sermons that have ever been written down. So it's an interesting, interesting read as we read through it. Uh, he is a southern country preacher, and he's sent to the city-fied folks in the north. And we'll look at how that works out for him. This book calls the gospel of the roaring lion. Because, look here, Amos, Amos doesn't have any training. And sometimes when he speaks, you think he doesn't have any home training. But that's not the case. He doesn't have any formalized training as a preacher. This book is the first time this nation was called the Virgin Israel. Uh, he was the first prophet to threaten Israel with exile. And he was the first prophet to present the concept of the day of the Lord. Put in your mind, if you can, 765 years, 750 years before Jesus is born. Technology is not caught up exactly to where it is today. But people are people. And it has been the regular routine of, Jeru of Judea to follow after what Israel does. If Israel goes right down this, this uh, pathway of idolatrous worship and foolishness, right behind them comes the younger sister known as Judah. Almost, almost like she can't think for herself. Almost like she can't see what's going on. She's blinded to seeing what's happening with Israel. And so she just decides to go down this path. And as your mind is focusing in on uh, that time period... I want you to see a guy who has rough hands. You know what rough hands on a, on a man means, right? It means he probably doesn't sit in an office and read books for a living. 
right? You feel, you would like you feel my hands? They're nice and smooth. Here's a man who has rough hands. He knows how to uh, survive and thrive in that wilderness lands where you find the sycamore trees. He knows exactly how to prune those trees back. He knows exactly how to prune those fruits back so that they begin to bloom and they just don't rot on the tree. He knows how to deal with those goats. Those, those goats that find the high crags and stand on them, the ones that, that like to walk seemingly off the edge of a cliff and just right down on the edge, sort of sit there and look for no good reason. He knows how to deal with them. Now, we're never told, but I'm convinced, uh, much like puppies and older dogs, that when their owners call them, they come. I think he's had a relationship with these sheep and this flock of sheep for so long that when he speaks, uh, they listen to the voice of the shepherd and they go. Now, Festus, you could go out there and holler at them all day and they, they would do nothing. Uh, me, myself included, would, they would do nothing. But here comes Amos by and he just sort of whistles and they all just sort of walk where he's at. This is a man who is rugged. This is a man who is not formally educated. He didn't go to the best schools. He didn't have the best degrees. He doesn't find himself being respected. But he finds himself being sent from the south to the north. And like any other good country boy, he brings with him southern manners and apparently, as you guys will tell me, he just doesn't sound the same. Imagine that. Somebody, take this as it's intended tongue-in-cheek, somebody from Arkansas telling somebody from Alabama they can't talk right. Imagine that. And here's, the, here's the guy you see. His, he's a little quirky. His mannerisms are a little bit off. They're, they're different from Judah. And I'm going to tell you something. They don't like him. As a matter of fact, when you and I start in chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, that's where we're going to start in order to go back to chapter 4. I want you to see the ending before you see why. They don't like him so much that they have threatened his life and his ability to eat. Don't miss this. We're not going to let you eat anymore here if you keep talking like that. Now, I, I don't know about you, Michael, but I, I have lived, I guess, in the lab of luxury for night to 18 years now to which I have never had an eldership say we don't want you to speak about this 
I have had eldership say, you're doing a good job. Would you preach a sermon on this? I've had uh, members who say, hey, how about a sermon on this or that or the other? But I've never had one who says, do not preach this. As a matter of fact, every eldership I've ever worked under has always said, if you can back it up, we'll back you up. Amos is in a different spot. He's being told by the, by the elite leaders in Judah, don't you come around here saying that. But Amos could say, but I can back it up. I can show you what God says. I can tell you exactly what he's telling me. They said, we don't want to hear that. Is that Amos' fault? Should he have made it more palatable for them? Should he have become a little more animated so that they would pay attention? Michael Cox and Billy Hayes have two different styles of preaching. The end. And the same message is taught from both. I think you should change and preach the way I do. At least that's what they're telling him. We don't like the way you do that. Is it true or is it false? Well, it's true. And Amos would say, in his best southern, I don't care what you think. Because I'm not going to stand before you on that final day. We're going to kill you. Well, you're going to have to. Because it is going to be my lot to stand before God, have him say, Amos, why didn't you tell them? You know, he's not going to ask, Amos, why didn't they pay attention? Why didn't they respond? Why didn't they? That's not what he's going to ask. Amos, why didn't you tell them? And so what we read in Amos chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, is this. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent uh, Jeroboam, king of, of Israel, and said, Amos hath conspired against you in the middle of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Wait just a minute. How has he conspired against Jeroboam? As he said, you're going into captivity. Let's do a quick poll. Shake or nod. Did Israel go into captivity? Was God right? It wasn't a threat. It wasn't the prophet of God coming and saying, you're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to do it my way, because I'm going to threaten you with God as the punishment. It's not what God was doing. God came to him and said, as far as we're going to kick this can down the road, you will go into captivity the end. We don't like that. You should have fixed that 500 years ago. But they did not. For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away into captivity out of their own land. And also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer. There's another name for prophet. Go. Flee thee into the land of Judah, where there's bread, and prophesy there. 
You hear what he said? You go back home where you can be fed and you can prophesy there. Notice this, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it's the king's chapel. It's the king's court. By the way, we don't really realize how true of a statement was just made right here. Amaziah said this is the king's chapel. It's the king's court. And he's 100% right. Because the place at Bethel was not the place God instituted for worship, but that's what they were doing. This is what the king set up. You're absolutely right. Now, Amaziah thinks that that's something to be taunted and, and something to be looked at favorably, but you and I look at it and we say, he's just in the wrong place. Look at verse number 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was not a prophet, neither a prophet's son. I was a herdsman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go and prophesy unto the people in Israel. Hey, Amaziah, I didn't sign up for this. Whenever you hear the phrase, uh, son of a prophet, or a, or a prophet's son, that deals with the, those men who were chosen to be prophets, but yet uh, there was a school. Much like our preaching schools, there was a school of the prophets. And he said, look here, I, I'm not a prophet, and I didn't go to school to be one, but when I was out working, God told me you'd better go, and you'd better speak to them, and you better tell them what's right and what's wrong. Now, you can deal with it however you want to deal with it. God didn't tell me to come up here and beg you and, and plead with you and, 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 and just bawl my eyes out that you would obey. God told me he would come up here and inform. Why? Because they're, they're going into captivity. Period. You can write that down. You can see it happen in 606, in 596, and in 587. They're going to go into captivity. He's 150 years short. Telling them what's going on. Now, therefore, hear thou the words of the Lord. He said, I'm, you know what? I may never get another chance to say anything else here in Israel, so I'm, I'm, I'm about to do it. I'm, I'm going to tell you everything I can tell you. Now, you can kick me out. and You cannot feed me. But it's not going to be that the word of the Lord will not be heard. So he says... Thou sayest, prophesy not again in Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot to the city. Thy sons and thy daughters fall by the sword. Thy lands divided by a line. Thou shalt be and die in a polluted land. Israel shall surely go into captivity from this land. And it happened just like God said it would. So why does Amaziah come out to Amos and say, you can get out of here? It's because of what he preaches. And the crux of what he preaches is found in Amos chapter 4, 
verses 12 and 13. Everything that he preaches is found right here. Now, as you have been in attendance for at least the past three and a half years and then five years respectively with Michael and then uh, down the line with Jack and even further down than that, I want you to tell me what sounds off from Amos' sermon from any sermon that you would hear here. Here preached from this place. Here, here. H-E-A-R and H-E-R-E. You ready? Look at verse 12. Thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God. Now what sounds different? I'm going to let you squirm for a minute. Can you find it? Look there in verse 12 and you tell me what looks and sounds different from what Michael would preach, what Billy would preach from this very pulpit. Are you looking? Look hard. You'll see it. Have you found it yet? Let me help you. Nothing. Nothing. At the end of every peak of the week, or an encouragement, or a one-verse wonder, there, there is a phrase that Michael uses, and I think most of the time on Sunday also, and he'll, we will get to the last two slides, and he'll say, you've seen these slides for five years, and they haven't changed, and they still say what they say, and they're still the red words of Jesus the Christ. And it's still saying, prepare to meet your God still says it. That's gospel preaching, period. It's all it is. We stand here and we have a Bible study and we urge you to be prepared to meet God. And you either choose to do that or you choose to walk away from that. But I can't drag you up here and hold you under the water till you quit bubbling. You have to make that choice. Every sermon, that every gospel sermon that has ever been preached from Acts chapter 2 forward has been encapsulated in this phrase, prepare to meet God. I don't know what else to tell you. You know, when you ride on 30 and you're headed back from Little Rock, and you go through uh, just before the Benton area. There's a sign off to the right-hand side, and it's been there as long as I've been here. You know what it says? Prepare to meet your God. I don't know who put it up. But there needs to be 6,000 of them put up between here and there, and in every direction we can... This is a trumpeting sound of what God wants man to know. Prepare to meet God. Why? Because this life ain't long. But eternity is. But a few years here, and I would say at 46... No, y'all don't tell Miss Brandy this, but there's no way I'm making it to 92. I'm going to be real honest with you, Billy. 
you need to prepare to meet your God. Billy, you ought to have already been prepared to meet your God. Billy, you should prepare every day to meet your God. Absolutely. The entirety of Amos' sermons to a nation that was falling away from God is, you had better be ready to meet Him. Every gospel sermon ends the same way. You had better be ready to meet Him. Let me ask you this. Have you done the things to be adopted into the family of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Now, if you look at that question and say, I don't even know what obey the gospel means, then that tells me you have not. But you can. Don't think that you cannot. You just need to know what those things are. According to Romans chapter 4, or Romans chapter 10, rather, in verse 17, it starts with faith that comes by reading God's Word, and hearing it and understanding it, putting it into my life. It's followed by a man who will, or a woman who will repent. Who will look at their life and say, something's got to change. Repentance. Luke 13, 3 and 5. Falls forward into confession. That Jesus is the Christ. That the Messiah is the 1.2 gallons of blood that will save humanity. And it ain't in me, but it can be on me. Is he Christ or not? Well, is he or ain't he? You like those old Alabama words? He either is or he ain't. Which one is he? If I'm willing to do that, would I not be willing to have my sins washed away? Not be raised to walk in a newness of life? Not be adopted into the family of God? Become His child tonight? Prepare to meet your God. Maybe you've done those things. and Maybe you're living a faithful life, to which I would say thank you for that example. Keep going. Keep us all motivated. It might be that you've done those things and you haven't been living that life. And you know if you have or if you haven't. You know it. And by the way, you're the only one who does. I don't know. Let me urge you, brother or sister. Prepare. Prepare to meet your God. And do those things right now while we stand and sing. Oh.